Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. How many of you saw that this past week? That video is of Tom Rice, a 97-year-old veteran of World War II and the 101st Airborne jumping into Normandy, France on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Now, 75 years ago, Mr. Rice, along with some 24,000 U.S. and British and Canadian airborne troops, were part of the largest coordinated air, land, and sea invasion ever recorded in history. 130,000-plus amphibious troops hit the Normandy beach across a 50-mile front following a day of heavy bombardment by Navy ships that were stationed across the English Channel. Only 10% of the first wave of troops to hit the beach survived. Many of the troops never made it out of the water. By the end of that fateful day, there were 10,000-plus Allied casualties with 4,414 confirmed dead. Their lives were the price that was required to secure freedom from tyranny. Most of the men who were killed or wounded during World War II had volunteered for duty. An unknown amount of men, boys, lied about their age in order to serve. You might have seen on my Facebook this, this past week, There was a young man who was 14 years of age from North Carolina that volunteered for service in the Vietnam War. Not long after his 15th birthday, a month after being in the country of Vietnam, was killed. And on his, he's remembered on the wall, my cousin was telling me this, he's remembered as being 19, but he was only 15. It's only fitting that we honor such men and women for their bravery and their sacrifice on this solemn anniversary. And as every living veteran will tell you, the real heroes are the ones who are buried on foreign soil. Today is also Pentecost Sunday. The 50th day after Passover... Some 2,000 years ago, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out on His disciples and the church was born. And that's part of what we celebrate today. And some of you, and I don't... If you if you if you delete it on uh, don't don't tell me because I might be disheartened. But I've been sending out these emails for the past couple of weeks. You might have seen them. And those are part of a coordinated effort by our our national director that 
that we would be praying and, and seeking the Lord in the, in the 40 days leading up to the national conferences that are scheduled later this summer. And I, I want to read to you what, what is on, on the email that I haven't sent out yet today. But this is from day 14. Day 14, for the, the, pray for the vulnerable and the marginalized. Matthew 25, 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And our prayer prompt is, come Holy Spirit, pray that God would show you how, to, how you can personally engage with the poor and the marginalized in your own town or city. And then in responding to God, volunteer to serve in your church's compassion or justice ministry. If your church does not have these ministries operating, ask your pastor where he or she could suggest that you volunteer. And then the prayer prompt that we've been receiving every, every, every day as part of these emails, remember, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6, 16. And remember as you pray to stand, look, and ask, and walk. These are our guide words throughout this prayer adventure. As a movement, we're seeking the Lord about our direction. As, as a church, we're seeking the Lord about where, where are we to go? What are we to do? How are we to reach our community? How are we to reach Washington County and Brenham? So I, I think it's appropriate on a day like this where we're, we're remembering so many things, where we're, where we're acknowledging the sacrifice of, of, of men 75 years ago for, our, for, for the freedom of the world, actually. And then when we celebrate the birth of the church, because that's what happened on, on Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. The church was born. I think that it's totally appropriate on this day that we would be asking the Lord, do it again. Use us. Come Holy Spirit. Use us to reach our world, reach our community, reach our cities, to reach our families. Because that's His heart for all of it. Well, I'm continuing our series this morning in the Gospel of Mark. And the title of my message is, Sent Out to Die. If you notice, this was a very famous photo of, of Dwight D. Eisenhower as he was, he was spending time with the troops who would be sent out to die, essentially, on D-Day 75 years ago. I mentioned that, that the, the, of the troops that came in that were part of the amphibious assault, 10% of those were the only ones who survived that first wave. Well, of of the airborne forces, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50%. And many of those never even got out of a plane. And those who jumped out of a plane, they didn't know what awaited them on their way to the ground 
And whenever they actually got got to the to the ground, if you if you're familiar with the story, they were they were scattered all over behind enemy lines in France. And so they were quite literally sent out to die in their service for the country. Well, last week we saw how Jesus' ministry drew the attention of thousands across the Middle East. People came from all over to see Jesus and to be touched by Him. He continued to heal and amaze the crowds who followed Him and His disciples. And today we're going to see how He was entering into his, the next phase of His ministry. When he selects and sends out his disciples to continue what he was doing. We'll pick up the story in in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Afterwards, Jesus went up to a mountain and called out the ones that he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed the twelve of them and he called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, whom he called Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them Sons of Thunder. Isn't that a cool name? I'd like to be a son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now this particular event is told in in Matthew's and Luke's Gospels. Luke in particular points out that Jesus spent the night prior to calling his disciples in prayer. This was a huge moment for Jesus in his ministry. Because these were going to be the ones who he trained and would release to continue doing what he had been doing since his ministry had begun. And these men would not only participate in his earthly ministry, but they would eventually serve as leaders in his fully inaugurated kingdom. Listen to what Jesus told Peter in in Matthew chapter 19. I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Now looking at at the text, Mark's gospel is the only one who uses the word apostle in reference to the twelve disciples. Now that word, which gets, gets tossed around a lot these days, but the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And the idea that Mark was trying to convey here in in Jesus calling them his, his apostles was much like that of a coach who sends a player out onto the field or out onto the court. I can remember being on the sideline and 
Something happened and the guy that I was playing behind, he got hurt. And I hear my name. I'm, I'm back at the bench because, you know, I had to, he's, he's playing. And, and so it's, it, I, it's not my time to go on the field. I don't know where my helmet is. It's, it's somewhere on the ground. He starts yelling my name, Knox, Knox, where are you? Knox, Knox. And, and of course, I hear my name, and then I've got to find my helmet. And then he sent me out there. I had no idea where I was going. And the first thing that happened, I ran out there and, and, and got my bell rung. You know, that, it was, that was just, just what happened. But, but that's what the coach did. He sent me out into the game, whether I was ready or not. And it's also kind of like, like, like a field officer, like, a, like maybe a, a, a sergeant or a captain who sends soldiers out onto the field to participate in the battle. And regardless of the circumstances, the player or the soldier has to commit themselves to the task at hand, no matter how difficult it might be. Now, so far, we've, we've seen that Jesus modeled for His disciples the kind of people that He wanted them to be. He lived a life of sacrifice and demonstrated that to them everywhere He went. And as He called His disciples, He sent them out to do the same thing that He had done and to teach others to do the same things that they had been taught by Him. And when we read... In the book of Acts, for instance, it's just a glimpse into to what was happening in the early church in just a few of the lives who had been influenced by Jesus. If you think about it, in Acts, we, we read a little bit about James and John and Peter. And then it shifts farther into the book and you hear more about Paul and his disciples and the people that were with him. Well, as I was reading this and I was preparing, I was thinking, what happened to the rest of Jesus' disciples? I mean, haven't, have you ever wondered that? You know, we, we read about them briefly and even in the Gospels, you know, like in Matthew's Gospel and in, in Luke's Gospel, Mark's Gospel... John's gospel, you see a little bit of these disciples, but we don't really get to know more than maybe just a few, like James and John and Peter. So what happened to the rest of these disciples after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven? Well, let's look at Simon Peter to start out. Simon Peter, he was Simon, Jesus changed his name to Peter. He was the brother of Andrew and was a fisherman by trade. And Simon was given the name Peter by Jesus, which in the Greek means rock. Christian history tells us that Peter was martyred during the rule of the Roman emperor Nero in AD 64 in Rome. He was crucified upside down because he thought himself unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. And then there's James. He was a son of Zebedee. 
He's a prominent fisherman in Galilee. His father was. And he was the older brother of John, the other son of thunder. James was beheaded in Jerusalem by the order of Herod Agrippa, the Jewish king in 44 AD, as mentioned in Acts chapter 12. And then there's John, the second son of thunder. He was also a son of Zebedee, the younger brother of James. He might have been the only apostle of Jesus that was not martyred. The theologian Tertullian said an attempt to boil John in oil had no effect on him. And in the book of Revelation, John said he was on the island of Patmos, which was a prison island. Scholars suggest that he was sent there because he could not be killed. He was buried in the ancient city of Ephesus around 100 AD, which is in modern-day Turkey. And then there's Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He is considered the patron saint of Scotland and Russia. He's known for his missionary work in the region called the region of the man-eaters in the Far East. Andrew died by crucifixion in AD 70 on an X-shaped cross as depicted in this ancient iconograph and represented in the Scottish flag, which is called St. Andrew's Cross. And then there's Philip. Philip was only referred to by name in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was referred to in John's Gospels as one who responded to Jesus' call to follow me and was instrumental in the call of Bartholomew. Christian tradition says that Philip ministered in northern Africa and Asia Minor where he was responsible for the conversion of, of a proconsul's wife. The proconsul had Philip tortured and hung high on a cross, which was accounted for in his, his iconograph, not this one, in the ancient church. And then there's Bartholomew, who was also known as Nathaniel. He's only referred to by name in most of the gospel accounts. He responded skeptically to Philip's re report of meeting the Messiah by asking, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when he met Jesus, Jesus called Bartholomew a man of integrity. And he said, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip ever found you. Bartholomew is said to have traveled with Thomas to India. He was a missionary to Ethiopia and Mesopotamia and was a modern day, as well as modern day Iran, Turkey, and Armenia. He is said to have been flayed and beheaded by order of the king of Armenia in the first century. And then there's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector and considered a sinner by Jewish leaders. Well, once he responded to Jesus' call, if you remember, he threw a party. And he invited all of his sinner friends to come and meet Jesus. Well, because of this, he's known as Matthew the Evangelist. And is the author of the gospel that bears his name. He lived and worked in Persia and Ethiopia after, after the destruction of Jerusalem. 
There are conflicting accounts that state that Matthew was not martyred, while others state that he was stabbed to death while he was living in Ethiopia. And then there's Thomas, often referred to as Doubting Thomas. His name means the twin. And while he was mostly silent in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus said he must go to Jerusalem, Thomas responded kind of sarcastically, let's go to Jerusalem so we can die with him. And then later on, whenever Jesus said that he was going away, Thomas asked, well, how, how do we know where you're going? To which Jesus responded, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Well, something happened to Thomas as, as a result of what took place on Pentecost. Christian tradition says that Thomas planted many churches east of Syria on his way to India. And he was killed by the order of the king of Mylapore in the ancient city of Madras in southern India in the first century. James, the son of Alphaeus, often referred to as James the Younger or son of Alphaeus. He is the brother of Thaddeus, also known as Jude. He is virtually silent in the gospel accounts and Christian tradition says that he went to Syria where he was stoned and clubbed to death in the first century. And then there's Thaddeus, also known as Judas, the brother of James the Younger, and was the other Judas who did not betray Jesus. He is also considered to be the writer of the epistle Jude in the Bible. He is virtually silent in the Gospels except for a moment at the Last Supper when he asked Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? He was of the Jewish zealot tradition and was said to have partnered with Simon the Zealot in the ministry throughout Persia. He and Simon were martyred in Persia for refusing to worship the ancient sun god. And then there's Simon the Zealot that's referred to with Thaddeus. He was identified as the Zealot in order to, to distinguish him from Simon Peter. Virtually silent in the gospel accounts, tradition says that he went to Egypt during the dispersion after the destruction of Jerusalem and then to Persia with Thaddeus where he was later executed for refusing to worship the ancient sun god. He was cut in half with a saw which is the primary symbol depicted in his iconograph as a saint. It's not in this one here. There's Judas Iscariot, the disciple known for betraying Jesus. He was the bagman for the group and largely considered to be a thief. Scholars suggest that he was possibly a zealot, hoping Jesus would lead a violent revolution to establish himself as king. After the betrayal of Jesus, Judas was distraught with grief and he went out and hung himself. And for a bonus this morning, the replacement disciple, Matthias, we call him the 12th man for those Aggie fans, whoop, 
the disciple who replaced Judas Iscariot, possibly one of the 72 disciples that Jesus called as recorded in Matthew and Luke. Nothing other than his placement as the 12th disciple is recorded in the New Testament. Christian tradition suggests he went to Syria along with Andrew and was burned alive. Looks good to be a disciple, doesn't it? Great prospects. Well, Jesus told his disciples, and we'll see this later on when we go through the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 8, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now this past week we've remembered the thousands of men who with their whole lives literally in front of them voluntarily laid down their hopes and their dreams and their lives for the sake of freedom. Many of them never came home and were buried abroad. Those who returned home were motivated by the sacrifice of their buddies and vowed to never forget the men and their commitment that they had for freedom for the United States and the world. But it was that sacrifice of the buddies that literally changed their lives and gave these guys who returned purpose and meaning because they didn't want to waste their life knowing that their buddies had died for the sake of freedom. Well, last week as I was closing out my message, I shared some, some musings, some things that I had been thinking about since we started Alpha a couple of weeks ago. And it came out of this discussion that we were having during Alpha. And I, I, I want to share that with you again. This, this is just something that just kind of keeps churning on the inside of me. What if we really believed that Jesus was the Son of God? If He really is the Son of God, then He has a claim on our lives. He's God. And we need to be asking ourselves every day we live, how can we live our lives in a way that pleases Him? What if we really believe that Jesus called us to be His disciples, not just believers? Because believing acknowledges who Jesus is. But if we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, then we've got to do something with what we know. We've got to do something with this knowledge that Jesus came and called us to participate in what He's doing. Jesus calls us to action. What if we really believe Jesus told us to do the things He did and would give us everything we need to do them? Because He did. How would that affect, if we believe that Jesus called us to do that, how would that affect 
our sphere of influence? How would that affect our friends? How would that affect our family? How would that affect our workplace? You know, this is just kind of a side note. Yesterday, we, we got free tickets to go see the Astros. Awesome. Great seats. Actually, a lady, uh, she got hit by a foul ball, like four rows in front of us. She's okay, but, I mean, we were, like, right in the center of the action. It, it, it's, you know, it was, it was awesome. The ball's coming, everybody stands up, and then the poor girl got hit. But, but anyway, enjoying the game and everything, you know, we have our, it, we're hanging out in there, and, and, uh, and we were just kind of waiting around. We got to the game a little late. It was free tickets, so, you know. So, so we're waiting around, and they start running us out. We, we're on our way out, and we're on our way to the car. And if you're in Houston, you know, you've, you've probably had this happen to you. You're walking down the street, walking across, and somebody comes up and asks you for money. Well, I, I for, without even thinking, guy comes up, and he's like, you know, can you help a brother out? Sorry, I can't help you. And I'm walking to the car, and I, I didn't even think about this, and then I got up this morning and I thought about that guy. You know, it, we, we, we talk a pretty good game about, but, you know, that we want Jesus to use us. But then what happens whenever somebody that's flesh and blood is standing in front of you, and you have an opportunity to do what Jesus did? You know, and I thought about it, like, well, I, I, I could have said, you know, silver and gold have I none. And, and pray for the guy. You know, I, I could have done that, but I didn't. I, I passed on it. And this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, do we really want Jesus to use us? Because sometimes it takes a risk. And, you know, I, I, and, and I thought about it at the time, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't give him any money. But, I mean... That, that, that's outside of my comfort zone. It, it took me a long time to get to the place where it's like, you know, sorry, I can't help you because I, I used to just, just pull out my wallet and, you know, that, that, that's no help. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we really want, do we really believe that Jesus called us to do what he did? And if he did, then are we willing to do it, not just talk about it? So anyway, that's my my self-confession in front of all of you. <laughs> so, but here's, this is, this is the question. This is what, I, what, I'm, what I'm dealing with, and I hope we are all dealing with it. How might this understanding that Jesus is who he said he is, that he called us to be his disciples, how might that change that, that knowledge, that revelation, that, that Jesus is the Son of God and that we're His disciples affect how we live our lives. How will that affect us? I mean, are we going to think about it whenever someone is standing right in front of us and we have the opportunity to share with them what we have? Will we do it? And I, I just as I'm standing here in front of you, Next time, and, and I, I, I ask the Lord to, to hold me accountable to this. To show the love of Jesus. In his book, Everyone Gets to Play, John Wimber said, The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. 
every new step into the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to date. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security that we have accumulated up until that point. It costs us our life. And that's what I'm getting to this morning. I hope that I'm making the point. We as individuals and as a church need to be prepared to say yes to Jesus. We just need to know that saying yes will cost us everything. But just the same, saying yes is the only way that we can truly live. Can we all stand together this morning?